everybody listen to We're Not Wizards. Because we are the best. And we're not wizards. No matter what anybody says. Goodbye. Welcome to another episode of We're Not Wizards. My name's Richard. I'll be your host for March. Because you ain't doing the year anymore. Because it's March. <laughs> and you can't do the year. It's 2019. But you can't do the year. Joining me, um, he's kind of, he's been on a couple of times. But he's like, not just been on a couple of times. He's kind of like drafted people in from other places to be on the show as well. <laughs> but uh, he's kind of come back. Because he asked everybody else in the organisation if they want to come on, and they all said no, because they must have listened to the show. <laughs> so, 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 in order to not appear rude, um, in order to not appear rude and say I can't do the show anymore, uh, Cesar from Alley Cat Games has just decided to step up and say, "Well, I, I suppose I can talk to you for a couple of minutes at the very, very most." Um, is there any chance we could mention some of the Kickstarter campaigns that we've been doing? And the answer to both of those questions is obviously yes. So, hello, Cesar. Hello. Are Thank you, you for having me on again. It's 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 good to actually um, it's good to have you back because I can't even remember the last time you were on. I think it's been like at least a year. I think we were. Um, I think last time we were talking, we were going to be talking about the Coral um, Island Games. I think yeah, it was yeah. just in, you were in the process, I think, of starting the development side of things. And I don't think you'd actually got to the point of even being close to the Kickstarter. But since then, you've been a bit busy, haven't you? You've done, you've just a little bit busy. Yeah, we have been. Uh, it's good and bad. Uh, so it's it's good because we've been busy and uh, hopefully we can get the games on time to deliver to backers and get it ready for Essen, which is obviously a big mm. time of the year for us. Uh, but it's bad because obviously three campaigns all at once, uh, we just wanted to get them out of the door all at the same time. So uh, <laughs> for the next six months, it'll be relatively quiet from us. Was that a conscious decision? To kind of get them out. I mean, let's. I mean, okay. For people who aren't aware, what were the name? What were the games you had? Your Welcome to Dino World. Yeah, um, and uh, David and Nick came on for that, and James. Um, yeah. So that was a really great episode, and it was fun to listen to them uh, politely be nice about me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think David. I don't think bother, David bothered being polite at all. Um, that, well, that's just David, isn't it? That is just David. David won't that, return I, I my calls. I do like that about him. Uh, I'm very much similar to him in that way. He just kind of uh, says, he just kind of says how it is, basically. Um, yes, but that, um, I mean, that was a, a kind of success. I think you, the kind of the the roll and write kind of genre, kind of is going through a little bit of a renaissance, and you might manage to kind of catch the crest of that wave because a lot of people had some really really positive things to say about the game, and it went on to fund kind of really really well so you did that 
Um, you've then got yeah. the was it the Coral Islands yep. kind of set of games. Um, yep. And that was that was am I I'm getting old. Was that the beginning of this year that that it kind was of all kicked off? Well remembered. Um, it raised um, sixteen thousand and it had almost five hundred backers. I mean, it it was never a a, a big Kickstarter game. Um, mm-hmm. It was always kind of like a, a light, casual, almost a family friendly game. Mm-hmm. Um, so we never expected it to do spectacularly well, but it did reasonably well, and you know the backers have been fantastic and been really supportive about it and yeah. hopefully it will go on to do well in retail which is where we as a business expect it to do better okay okay is that um and then obviously you've got latest one which is chocolate factory which is yeah. running just now it is as i say it is march um so you've got that running just now and that seems to be a similar kind of barnstormer in the same way that Dice Hospital kind of did because Dice Hospital went on to do really really well and yeah. in fact that's that's not too long been actually fulfilled with a yeah. lot of people um, and obviously that had dramas <laughs> which we could yeah. which we could talk about um, <laughs> you know hello customs people for all you customs yes. people listening out there um, um, I'm going to bleep out <laughs> <laughs> Whatever Cesar has has to say. I mean, we ju- have to do their job. Yeah, I mean, we're jump we're jumping about a bit, but Dice Hospital um, kind of uh, was in the situation that it landed in port, and the customs guys rocked up and said, "Hospitals, eh? Cardboard, eh? Little yep. miniature ambulances, eh? Let's have a little <laughs> uh, let's have a little look at that." What was the situation? What actually happened with with kind of that? Well, um, it was delayed by about two weeks because it was caught up in a storm in Shanghai. So both my both the ships that were destined for Europe and um, the US, they were both caught up for about one to two weeks now. The one that went to Australia, that, that um, went about a month earlier and that was completely fine. But just those two ships, um, they just got stuck. In the US, it was completely fine. It arrived uh, as we'd expect. It was about four or five weeks. But then... For Europe, so landing in the UK, hmm. that took a very long time. Um, uh, well, longer than I expected it to. So it, I think it arrived in five weeks. And then once it did land, um, customs basically said that they were going to check it further. And then apparently that initial check wasn't good enough. And then they wanted to do an x-ray check um, and so forth. So all in all, it was stuck in customs for about three weeks. Um, which is unheard of, um, especially when you have a sort of a light visual check and then an x-ray check. Um, and according to the people who imported it for me, um, they said that that had only happened once before out of like the thousands of board game projects that they had imported from China. What, were they going to give you like a badge or a shiny medal or something? for? <laughs> <laughs> well, I wish they did because it was it was cutting it fine because... You know, we were desperate for backers to receive their copies before Essen, mm. and that just wasn't possible um, because of customs. If customs had, you know, released the games within three to five days, which is the standard amount of time for a board game, mm. um, backers would have got their copies um, as we arrived at Essen, really, in the UK and in Europe. So in the end, um, it just cut it too fine, and uh, in fact, it was loaded onto the games quest truck to go on to essen only two days 
uh, after it arrived. Oh. So it really cut it fine. How, what was the um, what was the reaction from the backers? I mean, were they were they kind of largely kind of sympathetic? Were you know were they supportive? Um, yeah, they they were really supportive, and you know our mantra was that um, whatever happened, we wanted the games to be at Essen, but then mm. we would obviously take as many copies as were requested by the backers to pick them up. Yeah. So um, we had about 150 backers turn up to our stand to pick up their copies, and then we sold about 330 at Essen itself. Um, all the while, uh, Games Quest were beginning to start to ship the, the games out, yeah. um, albeit in their own <laughs> in their own way. What was your experience like with them? Because there's been kind of, I mean, you know, there's been kind of back and forwards. A lot of companies have you know, said, I'm not using it again. I mean, did you find the service kind of okay? Was it, you know? Well, uh, initially, um, the first wave was was fine because, uh, to be honest, their turnaround to get through the first wave was actually quicker than my US uh, fulfillment partner. Yeah. The difference was that with my US fulfillment partner, it took them three weeks to get to the games once it landed in their warehouse. Yeah. But the difference was that they got every single game out within a week. Right. Um, but Games Games Quest did it in waves, and unfortunately, uh, when you do it in waves, you get some backers who get their copies, and then some backers are wondering where their games are. Yeah, and that's a really uh, bad position to be in because backers are then messaging you and saying, "Where's my game?" And then we're you know we're having to check whether their game's been sent out or not. Okay, um, which is which is really frustrating, um, mainly because I feel their pain. I want their games to go out at the same time as everyone else. Mhm 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 but then i mean when it landed i mean the the kind of the the general consensus and the kind of the the word on the street is that it's it's been a really it's kind of been really favorably received there's a lot of people that are enjoying kind of playing their copies and i mean were you did you have any doubt about that? Were you like kind of like, well, I know as soon as they get that as soon as they get the game into their hands they're really really going to kind of love it um um i mean i i you know what i'm like i'm naturally a pessimistic cynical sort of person yeah. so yeah, i know <laughs> my, which is why i asked you the was, question <laughs> yeah no it's a good question to ask and my my conservative view was uh, i had hoped that it was going to do well because i b- really believed in it um and uh, i thought it would do well but i i really wasn't sure how it was going to be received because at, at the time that we started to receive the copies of the game i had started talking to distributors around the world and some of them were coming back to me and saying we really like the game production value is excellent but it does feel a little bit solitaire but the question i always asked them back because if you know if they refused it because 50% of distributors came back and said yes we'll take it the 50% that said no uh, when I asked them the question, do you stock Roleplayer or Sagrada? And they said, yes. My my answer back to them was, well, Dice Hospital has, has exactly the same level of player interaction. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, we've been proved right as a as a publishing house because the, the companies that have stocked Dice Hospital, they're continually coming back to us and saying, we need more stock, we need more stock. I mean, yeah. I just got a, an email today from the buyer from Asmodee UK and he said, we desperately need more stock because we've run out. Um, well, how, I mean, how do you approach that then? Are you are you having to go as another Kickstarter then for Dice Hospital, or is it? Are you able to 
get the capital to then go and fund another kind of print run? Yeah, we're, we're lucky to be in a position where Dice Hospital can sort of fund itself now. So wow. um, because Dice Hospital is doing really well in retail, the money that we get back from the distributors who buy them off us, um, we can reinvest into buying more copies. Um, obviously, having a Kickstarter is great because people are you know, putting their money where their mouth is and, and pre-ordering it, as, as it were. But at the same time, um, you know, you can't keep going to Kickstarter to keep to keep to keep milking the cow, as it were, because it's it, a it's not fair on backers, and then and then backers are going to at some point turn around and say, well, that's not fair on us because you know we want a new game or whatever. So for reprints, I, you know, this is our first ever reprint of of a product, um, and uh, we're just going to have to put in you know put into our own pockets and say uh, we need. X number of thousand more copies. Is that so? I mean, that must have been something you must have celebrated then. I mean, you and Cooley must have sat down and went, well, we've kind of, you know, to get to the point where you have to demand, you know, you have to go ahead and get a, a reprint done because there's so much demand for it. I mean, was that, was that kind of like a, I guess, a, I guess not a turning point, but like a milestone in the company that you were like yeah. saying, well, actually, this is becoming, you know, this is, serious you know the training wheels are coming off we're having to do kind of um you know we're doing reprints now so yeah it's uh it's certainly exciting um i mean one of the i mean again i'm you know pessimistic sort of guy i uh i was watching the uh, a dice tower sort of a dice tower video and they were sort of going over the point the the games that they had most anticipated for 2018 and mm -hmm. what they had thought of them now and actually, uh, Z Garcia and uh, Tom Vassell were talking about Dice Hospital. And Tom Vassell said, yeah, it's a really cute, you know, dice manipulation game. And Z said yeah. he liked it as well. But he said he was surprised that he couldn't find it in his local gaming stores. And that kind of irked me because um, clearly I was doing something wrong. And when I sort of started talking about it with my distributors, it turned out that there's just there's just not enough copies to go around. Um, so I was a bit... It's a bit flummoxed. I was like, well, clearly I need to do a reprint and potentially get it out to more distributors or whatever. So to yeah. that end, we're probably going to start using, we're going to switch our model from direct to distributors to uh, potentially using a consolidator as well. Um, and okay. consolidators are sort of like a middleman between a publisher and a distributor, but they, they usually have uh, better access to distributors because it's easier for distributors to buy from a consolidator than directly from someone like a small publisher like myself. Yeah, yeah. And I guess that takes away the headache of the logistics of managing yes. everything. That they, 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 You just get like an email to say, right, okay, you better, we need a print run of 6,000 copies that need to get done within this date um, in order to keep the distribution kind of chain happy. And you're not actually needing to sit down with the distributors and kind of iron yeah. out all the different deals and everything like that as well. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. And uh, okay. it, it sort of takes away the headache. You do have to obviously pay for it, so consolidators do take a bigger cut. Yeah, but it does take away the headache. And then you know, we can concentrate on doing what we do best, which is try to make really good games and then tell people about them, basically. Yeah, is it? I mean, at this stage in the business, is it? Is it kind of? Is it still? as important to make sure that Alley Cat Games it becomes 
a name that more and more people kind of find out about that people are demanding the kind of the yeah. product then you kind of going right i need to make i need to guarantee you know 60 pence profit in every pound that's coming through the business kind of thing yeah i mean i mean if, if we touch on the, the branding side of things yeah. um that's always a difficulty for any publisher is, is getting recognition for what you've done in the past and then the trust that you get for, for your future products. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, most consumers do not buy blind, but at no. the same time, if you're, if you're buying an FFG product or, uh, you know, a, uh, Steve Jackson game product, you know what you're going to get. Um, yeah. and you know, the, the component quality, you know, the type of game that they make. And you're more likely to be swayed in a certain way. But if you're if you're someone you know of my size, it's difficult for someone to say, "Well, this is definitely a good, this is definitely going to be a good game or whatever," because you still haven't proved yourself. And that's especially the case in the U.S., where, as one of my distributors said, you know, I don't have a foothold, I don't have a foot through the door, I have a toe through the door. <laughs> so you know, that was a good analogy, and uh, that's what kind of you know, with the Z Garcia point, made me think more. Well, you know, maybe we need to go through the consolidation uh, model instead. So are you kind of like, are you doing what kind of, say, the Beatles did? Are you going to have to do your tour of America um, to kind of, <laughs> to kind of get your hits, to kind of get your hit single in the well, Billboard Top 100, you know? And do <laughs> you sing analogy. like a cat? <laughs> oh, I definitely <laughs> can't sing. I used to rap, but I can't sing, that's for sure. Okay, go on. <laughs> no, no, that's, a, that's a that's an old part of my history that we won't I, discuss. I don't think we've ever ever had. I think we've talked about a whole pile of things there when you were, uh, <laughs> you know, getting your degree and you know, um, becoming an educated man. But I never knew you used to flow. You know, yeah, I did. What was yeah, your rap? Yeah. What was your rapper name, Cesar? It was uh, MC Nucleus. Was was <laughs> my name. Because <laughs> I obviously I, I I was you know on my way to being a scientist. Oh my goodness, MC yeah. Nucleus. <laughs> yeah, you didn't. So. I take it you didn't use rhymes like you're saying. You know, you just bring the red negative. I just bring the positive kind of thing. <laughs> you didn't do that. No, yeah. no, no. We stand on like neutral that. ground because I'm a neutron coming at you in the big bomb. <laughs> you know, gonna set my game on. You didn't do that. What kind of stuff? Oh wow. Definitely this not. is a whole podcast in itself. <laughs> I know. Yeah, let's not do that. But before before we move on to the next subject, um, yeah. No, it, it was a really it was really fun. I did it from the age of fifteen till about uh, until I started my PhD, and wow. uh, the highlight of my career was um, supporting KRS One, uh, which was absolutely amazing. No um, and way. I had, yeah, so it was. Incredible! You're joking me. No, no, that's what I did. That was was the highlight of my career. So I never, I never really had any fame or whatever. It was nothing. It wasn't really paid well, but it was amazing. Are you joking me? You supported KRS One from Boogie Down Productions, who I I did it in Penzance. Rap teeth on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did it in Penzance, um, and that must have been (laughs) two thousand and. when would it have been? It would have been 2005, just before I started uni. Wow. And, uh, yeah, it was, and I went down with, uh, who they call the grandfather of UK hip hop, this guy called Blade. Yeah. And me and him, me and him were friends because we met through a mutual friend because he's, he's Armenian and I'm half Armenian. So we became friends and he'd call me every couple of months just to chat about the Bristol hip hop scene. 
So it was, it was great. So we drove down with Blade and we picked up this up and coming DJ from Exeter. And then all yeah. of us did our thing in Penzance. And then, Ke- and then I was the last act before KRS One came on. So it was. Wow, that must have been mad. It was mental, yeah. There was a thousand people in there and it was a very small club. So uh, it was good times. But KRS One used to, he ended up kind of, and he's still doing kind of like the smaller gigs. He obviously doesn't bother with the arena stuff. I think he likes the kind of the close up and personal kind yeah. of stuff you know yeah and that was certainly the case then um but i think people nowadays they don't know who Keras one is and that's fair enough but whenever you oh, play you the sh- sound of the police they know they they know what that song is oh i tell you just everything i mean oh my goodness edutainment was like the last i think it was the last vinyl album i kind of bought like i mean really? this was years yeah years and years and years ago i i kind of yeah. yeah i was big into krs1 yeah absolutely awesome. <laughs> oh, wow, we're going to have to have, you know, anyway, everybody's going to go on, who's this? Why aren't we talking about board games? We'll tell you what, you can wait, because not everything has to be about cardboard. Sometimes you have to talk about vinyl and beats. Yes. And we've we've done a hip-hop episode anyway, and everybody knows I've got hip-hop roots, you know what I mean? <laughs> oh, my awesome. goodness. This is amazing. Um, But, I mean, you've not just kind of... The way I've seen it, you guys, I mean, I, I do mention you guys on a regular basis Thank as you. one of these kind of chameleon success stories of a company that started out kind of making, you know, your own games, like, you know, um, Lab Wars and, and, and obviously Cauldron Master to begin yes. with. And then yeah. you've kind of slowly, um, I guess, kind of changed how things have run. I mean, you brought out, I mean, Ruthless. I mean, Roland was on the sh- was on the show. Yeah, I, I um, heard that. It was a great episode. You know, thank you very much. And uh, you know, Roland's a top guy. But I mean, Ruthless came out, which had no connection with you apart from you guys, kind of, um, kind of joint publishing it. I think with mm. you know, um, I mean, what what makes you decide? I mean, did you just sit there and go, do you know what? If we're going to take this forward, if we're going to move on, I need to maybe think about maybe where you were as a designer your limitations as a designer but know that you had the business savvy and the experience to maybe bring other people's projects on is that where that kind of came from yeah for sure um i came to a point where um i had just i was just about to fulfill cauldron master and uh, i realized that my talents were not in game design and uh although i felt like you know my game design skills were improving they just weren't, you know, top notch enough for what mm. I, what I hoped we could achieve for the company. So at that point, I yeah. started, you know, uh, changing. I changed the model of the business whereby I would give royalties to designers for their games. Was that? I mean, and did you go on a kind of a mad kind of signing spree then? Once you became a kind of a publisher, did you, did you, did you want to make sure that um, you were sticking within kind of a set? kind of look because all the games what's striking about the Alley Cat portfolio is that they're striking. I mean there's not that many kind of dull greys and you know dark browns and blacks and stuff like that mm. in the kind of the colour palette. I mean you've got Dice Hospital which looks like you know every hospital I actually love to go to. You've got <laughs> you know you've got um, Welcome to Dino World you know again kind of you know 
shiny, lovely, colourful, kind of almost kind of, you know, welcoming kind of thing. Was that the kind of, even Ruthless, I mean, the artwork on Ruthless, and Roland's going to be going, thank you, but the artwork on Ruthless was stunning. Did you have like a set vision, I'm going to try and sign these types of games, or was it a case of, let's see what's out there, let's see what's interesting, let's see what I can bring in? Well, there's two ways to look at it. Um, there's the art and the, the graphics design, which to a degree a publisher can control obviously it's dependent on the type of people they hire to do those sort of things but uh, you can have a vision for those things and try to execute it as best as possible Uh, and then the other side of 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 the coin is is the game design itself um and um you know when you're starting off as as a smaller publisher it's very difficult for you to persuade someone who has either published a game before or is an established uh, you know, game designer to basically give them, give, give you one of their game designs. So you, I mean, I always thought about, um, Alicat games as Manchester City, whereby, you know, right mm-hmm. at the beginning, they were a nobodies. Um, mm-hmm. but you had to slowly, slowly acquire, you know, good, you know, like Rubinho and then have Mark Hughes as your manager and, uh, slowly, slowly you will be improving your squad and your team so that at some point, you will be, you know, challenging for, you know, really good positions um, for the Premier League. So that's how I always try to have Alicat Games is that right at the beginning, we were, nobody knew who we were. And then slowly we've been improving our repertoire through good game designers, good artists, and Mm -hmm. it sort of snowballed from there. Are you still, are you tempted at all to kind of still pick up the kind of the designer pad and pen, or are you concentrating on fully on the business side of things now? I mean, you've got staff now. <clears throat> yeah, you know, you've got a Simon. Which are, yeah, you know. yeah, we do have Simon. Um, I mean, I, I, I have actually designed a game recently myself called Cat Cafe, which we are. Uh, my wife Cully thought of that name. It's a, it's a cute cat rolling and right. Um, so I still do dabble every now and then. Um, so, uh, but yeah, most of my time and focus is on actually just keeping the business going, which is difficult enough as it is. Mm-hmm. Does it bring a whole lot of levels of kind of stress to you, yourself? I mean, are you having to kind of, are you, are you moved on from, is it moved, moved away from being like a passion project to actually having to say, right, I'm going to have to bring in new skills. I'm going to have to learn how to do stuff. I need to think about that. I need to yeah. think about tax. I yeah. need to think about accountancy. I need to think about wages and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, the way that I think about it is as long as I can afford to do it, um, I, I'll try to hire staff who are better than me at doing X, Y, Z. So, for instance, I had Nicola because, um, you know, I was spending way too much time responding to, to customers and, uh, you know, Nicola did lots of odd jobs for me and Cully. Like she painted our house and she looks after our <laughs> cats. So um, she she quit her job and I said, hey, why don't you just come work for me uh, for a couple of days a week? And she said, yeah, I'd love that because then I can work from home. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but Nicola's great because, you know, she can she can look after the customers and, and uh, the supports and, you know, missing games and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then um, Bez came on board. She was the first person to, to come on board as sort of like a games developer slash project manager. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's been really fruitful. 
And then Brett came on board, uh, I think it was summer 2017 as mm. a, you know, fortnightly or monthly, monthly developer. And then most recently Simon, because, uh, I've just been so, you know, busy with everything. He's come on board to be my right hand man. So he, he sort of does sort of everything that I've been doing. So anything that I don't have time to do, I sort of give to Simon. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it, it is, it is fun. Um, but, you know, it's just like with anything, you've got to know your limitations. And, you know, my limitations were I, I didn't have enough time to do everything. So I needed to hire people. Yeah. But, and also, like, I don't want to do the bookkeeping or the tax. So Nicola and Katie have been doing that for me. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a interesting division of labor. And, I mean, what's it been like kind of working with, you know, working with Bez? Because they are a force of nature. Yeah. I mean, has it been kind of like a, has it been kind of like a nitroglycerin type mix? Because I've always, you know, I've, you've always struck me as kind of quite level-headed, um, kind of organised, a little bit serious. Obviously, this yeah. is before I discovered you were hip hop rapping. Um <laughs> yeah. we we're back in November. Um but <laughs> I mean is it good to have somebody with obviously the kind of the, the energy levels and imagination that the 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 Bez has to kind of bring them into the business if they help shake things up, kind of bring new angles, new kind of ways yes. of thinking into the business? Yeah, I mean Simon is um uh completely the opposite of Bez in that Simon is a lot more like me where he is a uh, jack of all trades, master of none, and that is very mm. much my 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 stance on on everything. And Simon would agree that he is very much the same. While Bez is completely different, where I would say that her strengths are very much the creative sides. Um, yeah. And you know, but it's good to have someone that will um, basically challenge you on what you feel should be happening to the development of a game, of the look of mm -hmm. a game, etc., mm -hmm. etc. Et so it's it's good to have someone who is, who doesn't think the same way that you do? And obviously, I mean, it's working. It's working yeah. well because you're going to kind of you're going to kind of strength, strength to strength. Now we've got um, you've got chocolate chocolate factory, yeah. Um, kickstarting. I there's been a lot of hype for this game, and yeah. it's been kind of. I mean. Again, is this something that you've had to you've managed? I mean, you have to go. It's not just been like a, I guess a kind of a scattergun approach with the marketing. I've been aware of like Chocolate Factory for kind of some time, yeah. And the same way that I was aware of Dice Hospital for some time as well. Is that was that kind of like the marketing plan to kind of give give snippets? I noticed you kind of like you got the community involved in terms of what they thought of the designs and stuff like mm -hmm. that as well. Was, yeah. that all, was that all part of a general plan to kind of help keep the interest there, kind of build the hype as well? In a way, yeah, in a way, yes. In a way, no. Um, hmm. We originally had one artist who uh, we thought was going to be perfect for, for the project. Unfortunately, that didn't work out. And then right. the second artist we picked out, um, who's quite a famous artist, and we've worked with them before, and it's, it's yielded, you know, good good results. That didn't work out as well because he completely misunderstood our remit. So we just thought, let's just leave it. Mm -hmm. So all of that stuff that really put us back, um, right. really far back. But I'm kind of grateful that happened as well because it allowed us in the background to, you know, you know, Dice Hospital took over, and it was very, you know, 
for everything, bit fulfillment and sending the games out and, you know, designing the game, whatever. So that chocolate factory was always in the background, but we couldn't spend enough time. But all these delays actually allowed us in the development team and Matt and Brett to consistently just keep on playtesting and go, well, this needs to change and this needs to change. So um, that was okay. So the marketing of that was, yes, to, to build sort of like a community, but at the same time, we didn't really want it to drag on this this long. Um, so the aim was always actually to do it as a quarter four 2018 Kickstarter. Yeah. But in the end, it became almost like a quarter two, quarter two 2019 Kickstarter. But that was okay because all the changes that we've made since then have made it a much, much better game than it was when we first publicly demoed it at the UK Games Expo in 2018. I mean, um, it's doing well. I mean, you've yeah, got a week. It's you've, well. you've got a week to go, and you've kind of um, you said that the target was twelve, you know, almost thirteen thousand, and you've done well over fifty-two thousand. Yeah, um, and you're almost at a thousand backers. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, are you looking at the screen at the same time, going, "Somebody back for goodness' sake, nine hundred ninety-nine <laughs> backers for goodness' sake, somebody yeah. press, somebody press that." press that button for goodness sake yeah but and here's a question for you and, and obviously um in terms of the funding goal yeah is that is that bang on what you need to get the game made to get like the game out the door or 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 have you we, kind of slightly gone under what you kind of no we always go um we always assume worst case scenario if everyone hates the game yeah we that number that we set as a funding target is to make a thousand games and then it will cover um it will if effectively break even for a thousand games and to ship it to x number of backers it's typically right. somewhere between 200 and 300 backers mm-hmm. and then that that essentially breaks even in terms of delivery to those people shipping from china to the uk mm-hmm. and uh, manufacturing the game um that's why we always set it so low because that is that is what is required of us. Um, so that's that's how we factor in. But we never we never factor in uh, you know sunk costs like art and graphic design. Which you know if you're using a very good artist like for instance Samrina, they're quite expensive. So yes. we don't we don't factor those into the uh, into the equation. Okay, is that just like a, a necessary? expense yeah. that has to be kind of coming out of the business externally yeah. to what happens to kind of like the the kickstarter itself yeah yeah exactly because you've already paid that money what's the point of trying to try to recoup that money back yeah um, yeah you know most you know the, the traditional method of publishing is that you pay for that money and you pay for the manufacturing and then and then you hope that you make your money back so at least with kickstarter you have some of the money recouped as a, as a sort of pre prepayment for for the game has i mean have you um what do you think of this trend for people to to kind of say okay we've got a 50 miniature game and and you know our funding goes like ten thousand dollars do you think it's kind of accelerating this kind of bubble bursting that people are kind of talking about that we're going to end up with a couple of businesses that or more businesses that can't deliver because they're just not getting the funds to be able to deliver i don't know i think um i think kickstarter backers are a lot more savvy than uh than the industry and the gaming you know culture gives them credit for because there have been thousands of 
Kickstarter projects. And, you know, to that effect, loads of Kickstarter backers know what's a good project to back and what's a dodgy project to back and, and so forth. And, you know, a, a recent example was Aftershock, um, the one by Strong, is it Stronghold? Yes. Uh, yeah. Which is with Alan Moon. I mean, I, I sided with, with the publishers on that one because, you know, a name like Aftershock is such a good name to use for a, you know, an earthquake type game that I think it was unfair for people to call them out that they had copied some very small game um, that no one had ever heard of. And it was apparently educational and it was a very small print run. Maybe the way they had gone about how they behaved towards that person could have been better. But I think all that stuff about copying or whatever was absolute nonsense. Um, but at the same time, you know, Kickstarter backers are like, well, you know, you need to consider these things. And, uh, that's sort of like one example. And then the, uh, yeah, the other example is like you said, um, lowering the, the target so that it's really easy to reach. Um, I mean, you know, publishers do what the heck they like, but at the end of the day, um, Kickstarter backers talk with their money, and if they don't back your game, it means that no one wants your game. It's as yeah. simple as that. Um, and uh, if you do well, then you know, good for you. That's great. You know, run it well, and you've, you've made a game that people want to buy. But at the same time, you know, uh, it's it's difficult. I mean, Kickstarter running a Kickstarter is difficult because you don't know what what price point people are willing to buy your game at. So sometimes it's just a shot in the dark. Um, but you have to also cover your tracks in terms of, you know, us us European creators are very much held to VAT, which our American cousins don't have to, which is rather unfortunate because we have to up our prices while uh, the American creators don't. Yeah. So they, they have an upper hand on us because, you know, I constantly get American and Canadian backers saying, why is this so expensive? without them having to factor in that I have to pay VAT on all the European transactions. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. price point's difficult. Um, but yeah, I'm not sure there is a Kickstarter bubble, but you are definitely seeing um, a, a change in attitude towards people backing them because because there are so many games, people have limited say, um, shelf space now and uh, it's just becoming more competitive. Um Yes, people are spending more money, but I think what people are doing are saving the money that they would have spent on maybe three Kickstarters over one or two months and instead spending it on a mega, mega campaign like a Batman, for instance. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, and then we'll see how that, happening. see how that kind of, you know, the bigger games kind of fulfill. Because I think, yeah. I think you also get, I think, um, when you get these bigger tales, on these longer games, it can also lead to a little bit of fatigue with some people. Yeah. Um. I mean, for I, sure. I've I've not seen I've not seen a smiley Dark Souls back for a while <laughs> because I think right. they're still waiting for some of their wages. But I know you know some of their some of their some of their pledge. But also at the same time, when kind of delays kick in, I think sometimes it puts people off. I also think that with there being so many games out and People who want to support kind of individual companies, independent companies like yourself, there is also the part that with, you know, there'll be a lot of people that will have gone on kind of mass, everybody goes on their mass Kickstarter spending spree, but then you end up with like a, you know, 10, 
10 or 12 games arriving in a year and then it's getting that those games kind of played and I have heard a lot of people that are saying I'm not backing as much as I used to not because I don't have the funds but because what will happen is I'll get a Kickstarter pledge in and my desire maybe to play it isn't there because the excitement's gone and I just yeah. end up not playing it, it ends up sitting in the shelf and it ends up kind of you know I end up kind of basically kind of maybe selling it on or kind yeah. of getting rid of it. I mean, I know people complain about folk flipping it, but I am also aware of people that are just saying, well, yeah, I kind of waited eight months for this and I've got it now and I'm not really interested in playing it because the kind of the the excitement fires kind of died, kind of yeah. died down a bit, you know, and I've seen I've Yeah, no, I, I totally that. appreciate that. And, uh, you know, I'm a Kickstarter backer myself and I totally get that. You know, the, 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 the trick is that the publisher has to, A, keep, keep the backers uh, consistently interested by, you know, updates and things like that. But also yeah. from the very beginning, your game's got to stand out in, in some way, whether it's through beautiful art or some kind of unique mechanism in the game. It's got to be completely different so that by the time it does get through their letterbox, um, they can they will still want to play it as soon as possible. Do you think the accessibility is important as well? And I don't mean accessibility through, like, say, you know, um, colour blindness or stuff like that. But do you think it's really important to make sure that somebody can get a game to the table and easily learn and easily play a game? So, like, you play <clears throat> yeah. through videos from, like, Rado or, you know, Man vs. Meeple and things like that. You know, I noticed that you've got that for the Chocolate Factory. I mean, was that something you considered, you know, making sure that, yeah, when people get this game, I want them to have five different videos they can watch so they can get it to the table and start playing regardless of, you know, what's happening with rule books or anything like that? Well, my position on Kickstarter is that um, the, the lighter games, um, like the, the, the ultra-light, the ultra-cheap ultra cheap games will continue to, to thrive on Kickstarter, but the middle ground, which is the games between the £20 and the £34-ish, um, they're the ones that are losing out because, in my opinion, people aren't as interested because there's so many choice in that range. Yeah. Um, so it's actually the more, you know, you know, the BGG ratings three, three to four, uh, complexity rating that people are going to be going for. Yeah. Um, on on Kickstarter, and and I think it's because people want that brain burnery thing from a Kickstarter game because you know. Uh, a complexity rating from 1.5 to 2.5. There's plenty of those sorts of games. Yeah. Um, so I actually think it's the other way around is that people want a complicated game so that, they, you know, they feel like they've got their money's worth okay. uh, in a way. Um, but at the same time, I do agree that the game itself has to be accessible in terms of a good rule book, um, mm -hmm. a video playthrough, etc. because yes, it may just sit on someone's shelf even though they felt like it was value for money um, because it's BGG complexity rating of three or four, whatever. Yeah. The other thing is as well as if I can say to people, um, if I say to people, I'm going to bring Dice Hospital along on Friday, and if I say, well, I'll tell you what, I'll send you the link to the YouTube video, it's not going to be one of those sessions where we spend an hour and a half trying to learn the game we yeah. can get kind of straight into it and everybody is kind of aware and they can, you know, they, and you need less kind of, I guess, um, you need less help kind of remembering the rules and everybody can kind of pitch in and knows, and kind of knows how to play it. And I think that's kind of, 
that is kind of um that's kind of important. Um I mean just like kind of um you know Willy Wonka singing kind of come with me I'm expecting you to rap something but anyway. Um what is what what would you say the elevator pitches the kind of the get the kid in the candy store kind of all these shiny wrappers and there's chocolate factory sitting there on the shelf and you're going to reach for it and you know what if I unwrapped chocolate factory what kind of what kind of taste am I going to get at the game what's it going to what's it going to taste like that's the worst analogy ever but just run with it Cesar for goodness sake <laughs> tell us what the game's about well the beauty about the game and, and it's something that I've always been so excited about since Matt and Brett showed me the game was simply the tactility of the game is yeah. that you were literally you know pushing things around and you you know you feel that the wooden pieces and it's all wrapped up in an excellent euro where you're literally building an engine on your factory board so when you put that all together um i think it's an absolutely fantastic game because you know you're pushing things around and um you're changing things and you're getting that brain burnery thing feel so you know most euros they have a really nice brain burnery feel but you're literally just you push a cube and you say okay well i've gone up to two resources uh, and then you say okay well i played this card and i'm going to convert that resource to wood so i change that down from 2 to 1 on my track and i move that up the track to 4 whatever but it's completely different with with chocolate factory because it's not only a tactile game and a euro game but it's also a spatial game because you've got to think you know, in two spaces time, when I push it down again, what type of chocolate is it going to be? And how can I convert it and make it, you know, make it uh, so that I'm able to swap it to something that is useful to me to sell to to make my victory points. So I don't, I don't know many games like that. Um, I think Mechanica is, is a lighter version of Chocolate Factory, which is also on cho- um, Kickstarter right now. Yeah. But apart from these two games, there aren't any you know tactile euro games that i know of that has this sort of mechanics one one reviewer said passing through petra has something like that there's automania um etc but this and, and you know when you when you mix it together with the beautiful art that dennis has made and the fact that it's a matthew dunson and brett gilbert game um you know i'm really confident that it will do just as well as dice hospital will in retail it obviously hasn't reached the heights of, of Dice Hospital, um, and, and that's completely fair enough. But I think once people actually get to see it's that the, the player board is not just some kind of gimmick with a little hole through it, and it actually is a really good Euro game, that I think that it will really start to shine. Yeah, but I mean, are you thinking also you've got the retail tale of this yeah. as well, though? I mean, that's the other thing. I mean, you're actively, and as you've, you've said yourself, you're actively, you're not just putting a Kickstarter out there and that's it, and hoping for a couple of retail pledges. You seem to, you're actively kind of seeking retail arrangements with, you know, distributors. Yeah, with our distributors, yeah. You um, know, so, I mean, so you're hoping there's a tail on there. Yeah, for sure. And, and I think that, you know, like I said, it will do just as well as, um, it will do just as well as uh, Dice Hospital. But, you know, when we were at Essen and, you know, we had like a a very basic prototype box, we must have had about 100 people come up to our stand. Uh, It wasn't just me they were coming up to. It was was all my volunteers and they were saying, can I buy a copy of Chocolate Factory? (laughs) And it was just just literally the box. Not kidding. Um, 
So people would see the box and they would see like an early prototype version of the board and stuff. And I do think that it's, it's, it's certainly got legs and I'm really excited to see what happens when it gets out into the wide world and see if it does as well as Dice Hospital. Are you tempted to do a stretch goal that would offer real chocolates? <laughs> Everyone always asks me that and my answer is always the same as that customs gave me uh gave me uh you know difficulty for Dice Hospital. So uh <laughs> Can well, you imagine what, what the difficulty would be like with Chocolate Factory? Yeah, I know, but you know that's it serves you right for shipping hard drugs <laughs> with Dice <laughs> Hospital. You mean you plastic know. ones, right? Pla- yeah, plastic yeah. morphine in every yeah. every pack. You know that's why it did so well. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm really joking. I'm really joking. Um, I mean, as I say, you've got like a week to go at time of yep. recording. Um, to get your foot in the door, um. What's the pledge levels? How much do people need to pay to get in? So it's it's almost the same as Dice Hospital. So um, if you if you back Dice Hospital, this is marginally more expensive, like a couple of quid. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's forty five pounds, um, and you get the game base game, uh, and you get it delivered to your door for free. Um, and then on that's top cool. of that, sorry, I said that's cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then um, the deluxe edition, which has like a premium sleeve, um, the the coal tokens are upgraded to little black gems. Um, it's also got the 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 cards, the factory cards that you usually put on top of the um, on top of the player board. They're converted to tiles. Um, so that deluxe edition is fifty eight pounds. So it's it's an extra thirteen quid, but it really deluxifies the game. It makes it just feel that much nicer um and then kickstarter backers will also get a, a kickstarter promo pack as well which uh, they get for free so it's like six cards which are uh you can guess what they are the owner the prodigy and the helpers uh so you can you can think I, what mm, what they are can't for no it's no, all it's no. a bit yeah sometimes people get it, it sometimes it, people don't you're just putting people through the mill burn um <laughs> Exactly. Yes, Simon will like that. Yeah. Um, Well, obviously, I mean, as normal, what we'll do is we will will get the links and we will put them in the show notes so that we have notes to show. um, And we will make sure that this goes far and wide as quickly as we as quickly as we can as well. Um, You're doing some really, really exciting stuff. It's so cool to see you kind of from kind of obviously over the last kind of three years kind of grow from where you were with like you know lab wars which is I think where we kind of first cross paths on um yeah. on the uk tabletop kind of kickstarter facebook group to seeing you kind of you know be where you are just now which is you know publishing you know still you know developing kind of putting out these fantastic kind of Kickstarter projects. It's pretty, it's really, really cool. And it's kind of, it's quite um, encouraging for anyone else that's thinking, obviously kind of looking at kind of starting the same, the same kind of journey. Yeah. Um, if people want to keep an eye on you guys, where can we find you on the interweb nets? Yeah. We're on um, Facebook. You can just search for Alicat Games, Twitter, mm-hmm. Alicat Games. And then our website is alicatgames.com. Excellent. As I say, we'll put them in the we'll put the links in the show notes so we've got notes to show. If you want to keep an eye on what we're up to, um 
don't be silly. Um, but you can go to Google and you can search for We're Not Wizards and you'll find us on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram, not Tumblr, because Tumblr's dead. Um, but you can also find us on places like uh, YouTube and you can follow our blog, which is we'renotwizards.blogspot.com and our website, which is we'renotwizards.com. You can email us, which is magic at we'renotwizards.com and you can find us across all the different podcast catchers, um, like your Stitches and Spreakers and Acasts and Castboxings and Podknives and Podbeans and there's just so many, Cesar, so many, Spotify, <laughs> Google Podcasts, it just, you know what I mean, it's like they're growing like some kind of disease, it's incredible. Um, there are a couple of things you can do is if you like the show and like what you've listened to, you can tell somebody else about it. That'd be fantastic. Or the other thing that you can do is you can drop yourself onto Apple Podcasts and leave us a subscription or a rating or a review. And, um, you know, as I say, I've spoken to Cesar for about three years now, so he'll be aware of that we're still using the same rubbish jokes. But if you <laughs> want to give us a rating or review, don't give us 10 stars because it makes us big-headed. Uh, but don't give us one star because it makes us cry. Give us a five because it's in the middle and it's just a little bit kind of average. And we are just a little bit average. But the person who has not been average tonight is the rather wonderful, the rather fantastic, the very successful Mr. Cesar Aljassar. Thank you very much for coming on again, Cesar. So it's much been for a pleasure me. as almost. Um, there's only two more things to do. The first thing is to remember that we are many things, but we're not wizards. Are we wizards, Cesar? Definitely not. Nah, yeah, a hip hop, hip hop artist. <laughs> <laughs> you know, dropping rhymes. You know, giving us good times. You know. Anyway, and the second thing is to say goodbye. So, uh, it's a goodbye from Cesar. Say goodbye, Cesar. Goodbye, Cesar. And it's a <laughs> every time. Lovely. <laughs> and it's a goodbye from me. Remember, stay safe, rule sixes. And you know what I mean? Everybody says uh, keep an eye off the chocolates if you want to keep yourself healthy. But what I'm saying is, you know, get yourself out the sweet, the sweet cupboard and get yourself on a Kickstarter and check out Chocolate Factory. Not too much long ago. Definitely worthwhile having a look, having a savour, having a taste. And until the next time, goodbye. arrives precisely when he means to.